0: Let's open our Bibles to the book of Galatians and press on and continue to do what the Lord has asked us to do, to be consistent. And we will be going through, even though Paul just read the last 21 through 31, we are gonna go through where we left off and do all of chapter four from where we left off. I started it last week. Okay, again, Paul is using illustrations to persuade the Judaizers, and I'll explain who they are in a second, in the Galatian churches. And again, I'm making a distinction between um, the Church of Corinth, singular, and the churches, plural, in Galatia. Galatia is not a church. It's um, uh, what we consider to be a state. And so he's writing to the churches that are in Galatia. That salvation is by faith alone. While the Judaizers who are following Paul all over um, Galatia, saying, yes, you know, it's true to, uh, that Paul is talking to you about the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. That's good that he's doing that but they added he's not teaching them that they also have to keep the law. So Paul, through our entire first four chapters, is going to great lengths using different ways to get his point across that you cannot add anything to The finished work on the cross, when Jesus said it is finished, that's exactly what he meant. And um, last week we read, they want to bring the law into it, so last week what we did is we went back to Leviticus, read the Ten Commandments, um, went to a couple, and I think it was Leviticus 20, there's not just 10, there's 613 laws, and um, they couldn't keep them themselves The first big powwow and debate in the church is in Acts 15 over this very issue. If you get saved as a Gentile, do you have to keep the law and be circumcised and so on and so forth? And when all was said and done, it was uh, James, uh, Jesus' brother, who got up and said, no, we're not gonna put any other burden on you except things that a Christian Naturally wouldn't do. And that is uh, don't go sleeping around and stuff like that. Well if you're born again you just don't do those things anymore. And he says but we're not going to lay the law on you. So it should have been a shut deal. It should have been understood but these Judaizers would not let go of it. I like to use a comparison of those who come out of uh, denominational churches. I came out of a Protestant one. And when you I went until I didn't have to go anymore. (laughs) And when I didn't have to go anymore, I didn't go anymore. Um, But if you're there every Sunday, uh, there's certain routines, let's put it that way, that you fall into. And now to say none of those routines don't matter. Let's just use uh, baptism, okay? You have to believe the gospel, but you also have to be baptized. No, you don't. That is something that can be deeply ingrained in you. And um, if you're told that you can be saved without being baptized, you go, hold on a second. I've believed you had to be baptized your whole life. No, the Bible says believe and be baptized, but it doesn't constitute that you have to be baptized to be saved. Good place for an amen. Um, The Roman Catholics are just as guilty as many denominations are also on this particular issue so last week we read just what the commandments were Um, I want to draw your attention um, uh, this week the question is what was the purpose of the law Paul says it was something that was added it was added because or better still for the sake of transgressions Go to Galatians three, verse 19. And it says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, um, this word, why and what purpose does the law serve? Well, it was added because of our transgressions. It told us that we were sinners. If it says thou shalt not lie, and you lie, <laughs> what does that make you? A liar, and you've, you just broke the law. And then we have this word till, and it's very important in verse 19. Till the seed, singular, notice it's singular, the seed should come, the little word seed is an important time word. It means the law was temporary. The law was given for the interval between the time of Moses until the time of Christ. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's John 1, verse 17, For taking notes. It's very important to see that the law was temporary until... The seed should come. That seed is Christ. So um, here I'd like us to go back and uh, refresh our memory, and especially if you're new or you're watching for the first time on live stream, back to Genesis chapter 3. And where this first appears, this seed in Genesis chapter 3, Verse 14 and 15, after Adam and Eve sinned, um, they were each judged by the Lord. And the Lord starts out with the serpent for deceiving. So we read in verse uh, 14 through 15, the Lord is speaking to the serpent. And he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, is a reference to Jesus Christ, shall bruise your head, your, he's speaking to the serpent, your head, Uh, and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, gives great detail of the suffering and the bruising and the beating with the rods and so on and so forth, pulling out his beard, and the suffering, we think of the cross, but Jesus went through much more suffering and uh, he was greatly um, bruised by this. So, the seed here first of all, women do not have seed, correct? Men have seed, women have eggs. And so, what we have here is a picture how can a woman have a seed? Well, We're told that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And um, that's where we come up with the virgin birth. Remember when they were ragging on Paul about Abraham being sons of Abraham? Well, we never committed adultery (laughs) or fornication. The implication was, the word was out, that um, Jesus was born out of marriage because Joseph was not the father. And, um, and angel appeared to him and said this was done by the Lord and don't worry about it and so he didn't. So we find here um, a picture of virgin birth and I wanted to go back to uh, this chapter uh, because it is a picture where we find the word seed being singular and not plural. This morning, we'll be looking at the reason that the law and grace cannot coexist. By using the Old Testament picture of Isaac and Ishmael, we will look at time in general. And let me get a little, little sidetracked even here before we get started in talking a little bit about um, time. Let's go to, back to Galatians Chapter four is where I got the title for the morning's message, when the fullness of time had come. So we have, we live in time right now. And we read in verses four through seven, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, there was a set time that he would come, when the fullness of time had come. Uh, We mark time itself from Jesus' birth. We don't know exactly if it was 2 B.C. or some say all the way up to 4 A.D., but the fact of of the matter is we judge time by the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, It's roughly 2,000 years. This year it's 2022 AD and uh, before Jesus Christ it was marked BC before Christ we mark time by the very birth of of the, the Lord Jesus Christ which is not December 25th I hope I don't break anybody's bubble this morning and what no Christmas tree oh Our universe is not billions and billions and billions of years old. I'm gonna pause right now and ask a very important question. am I'm not gonna to ask to raise your hand. I want you to answer it in your own heart and be honest with yourself about it. Before I go on any further, do you believe in the inerrancy of scripture? Yes or no? And when I say inerrancy, then I mean that every word of it is God-inspired and God-breathed to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T, a jot and a tittle. So before I go any farther with our study, it's important um, that you have your own convictions that the book that you're holding in your hand is none other um, than the inspired word of God. With that being said, let's go back to the book of Genesis chapter 1. As we look at verse one, it, says, it just says, in the beginning, which means time had a beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is eternal, he has always been, he always will be. There is no time in his eternity. But in the beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of this earth and the universe, the heavens. The earth was without form and void, Darkness was on the faces of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, by the way, the word "Gods" in the beginning "Gods" is Elohim. That's the plural form of El. El would be singular. Elohim is plural. So basically, what it's saying is, in the beginning, gods. I mean, gods. I mean, the Father and the Son. So where's the, where's the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is in verse two. And the Spirit of God was hoovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and it was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. I want to jump down to the third day, um, where the Lord is creating, um, oh, verse 11 grass, herbs, uh, seeds, fruit trees, um, each kind after itself on the earth, and so it was. And the earth brought forth grass and herbs. Yielding grass according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. So on the third day, He creates everything that grows and is green. But He doesn't create the sun and the moon until the fourth day. How can you have billions of years and have green grass when, when you have this um, transition um, taking place? Because we find. Um, the Saturn and the moon on the fourth day. I have a question for you at this point. Uh, it says that, uh, verse 26, it says, let us, again we have plural, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him have dominion over the whole thing. I have a question. How old was Adam when he was made. Was he 20? Did he look 30? What's your What's your point, Dwight? When God made Adam, he didn't make him a baby one day old, is what I'm saying. He made him in his image. And we don't have millions and millions and millions of years going from an ape to a man. We have him just being. And I wonder about these things. I get these Thoughts, I call them thought for the day. I said, now there's a thought for the day. What did Adam look like? How old did he look? 20, 30, 40? How old was he? We don't know. But he wasn't one day old, I know that much. Because uh, he took a liking to Eve real quick. (laughs) And we find, let's take it a step farther because this is one of the biggest arguments um, for Darwinism and uh, evolutionism. Um, And they say, that's crazy, Dwight, what you're talking about. Don't you realize that it takes, um, last I heard, our universe was maybe 20 billion light years or something like that. Do you know how many light years it takes the light to leave that star to reach planet Earth? You're crazy. Well, no, I'm not, <laughs> because in the same way that God created Adam, and he was 30 years old by appearance, in the same way when God created the, the stars and the sun and the moon, that light was already there. It's just instantaneous. And we, we find that's, that's one of the biggest argument. It takes 8 minutes and 20 seconds for the light of our sun to reach our planet so there's time involved in it and um, so all these things that god created he spoke into existence and uh, when jesus i'm going to quote something that mary wrote from one of her tracks about um, um, how god sees things from his perspective and it's only a paragraph so bear with me Uh, when jesus came the first time The Old Testament scriptures yielded plenty of information to the reader about just who they were to expect as their Messiah when the fullness of time had come. And how we should not be surprised at this if we even remotely comprehend how powerful and omniscient God really is. Prophecy is a proof text for the scriptures. Only a God who knows the end from the beginning is able to tell us how it will all come out. It's a bit like being in an airplane and watching a parade down below. From that vantage point, um, there really is no time constraint on that parade because you would be in a position to see both the beginning and the end all at once. From your lawn chair on the curb, you have to wait each segment and watch it pass by. God is not bound by time, yet his creation is. We live in time. Um, Genesis 4, four again says, when the fullness of time had come, implying um, the coming of the Lord. Now I'm going to drive this home a little bit more because our school systems have gotten uh, so far away from teaching anything at all, unless it's a Christian um, school about um, 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 Darwinism and um, evolution. And what I'm quoting here is our good friend, Russ Miller. He lives in a crater (laughs) on the other side of Sedona, Arizona. He lives off the grid. I've been to his house. I've been with him several times on... um, Um, Grand Canyon tours, which if you can do anything once in your lifetime besides go to Israel, I highly encourage it. Uh, He's a brilliant man, I want you to bear with me a little bit as he addresses uh, his argument for a young earth. The Bible says here, Genesis 1, that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and he rested on the seventh. Is that the majority? the majority of what our people in the world believe? No, not at all. They think you're crazy for even making such a statement. But I wanna tell you this, what Russ does is he doesn't deal with theories or opinions. He only wants the science. He wants the scientific facts and he addresses it from that angle. I've been at least on four of them over the years Okay, this is from Ross. Evidence of, for a young Earth. The vast majority of ways to date things reflect a young creation. For example, helium escapes rocks quickly. Geologically speaking, yet rocks in the deepest strata layers still have lots of helium in them. Many planets are still hot despite losing heat faster than they receive heat. That They can't be old. The sun is shrinking. This causes a host of problems for old age believers. One is that the earth's orbit around the sun is held in place by the sun's gravitational pull. If we were a fraction closer to or further from the sun, life could not exist on earth. As the sun shrinks, its gravitation weakens so Uh, the solar system can't be old. The Earth's magnetic field has weakened 6% over the past 150 years. Extrapolating backwards at that rate, the field strength would be uh, equal to that of a a magnetic star 12,000 years ago, preventing life from existing on our planet. Oceans are 3.6% salt. And the level of uh, uh, salinity is increasing at the present rate. The water could have gone from fresh water to 3.6 salt in 50,000 years. If the sea began with no salt in them, uh, there are about 1,200 min- minerals on Earth, uh, Amounts measured entering into the sea all points to the ocean too young for Darwinism's requirements. Sediments on the seafloor accumulate uh, via continental erosion. Studies of these sediments indicate a youthful ocean. Now, he goes on and talks specifically here about the Grand Canyon and the marvel that it really is. The Grand Canyon does not speak of millions of years of formation. It clearly testifies of rapid formation. Here's an equation that he um, made up. Much water equals little time. Little water equals much time. If this is the first one, And this is the first one regarding the Grand Canyon. The the grandeur of the Grand Canyon stirs awe, inspired emotion, and millions of visitors who make their way each year to northwestern Arizona. Hardly anything else in the world gives such insight into the geological timescale of the earth better than this, hole in the ground. And no other natural wonder causes more contention either. The Grand Canyon extends over 250 miles through the Colorado Plateau, stretches from 4 to 18 miles wide, and reaches down more than a mile. What you don't often hear is not only a mile deep, but before the flood, it was a mile high. And um, um, Russ explains that. Um, throughout many of the layers exposed in the walls of the Grand Canyon, one can find fossils of marine organisms, corals, uh, fossil footprints, um, reptiles, ferns, and other plants. Many of these show evidence of rapid burial. The biblical explanation for the canyon form is actually quite simple basement layers. Now the first thing that we do when we go there is he'll take us to the edge and uh, he'll point out some landmarks and he says I want you to look until you get to this one point and you'll see that there's layers up to this one point but then you have this one rock that's sticking it up. And he says that's the foundation stone that was created in Genesis chapter 3. That would have been the first layer. All rock. And um uh, the The basement layer consisting of granite was formed by on day three of creation week. Some layers were deposited on these rocks later in creation week and during the pre flood period the the horizontal uh, sedimentary layers were then deposited over all other rocks by the water of the global flood as described in Genesis 7 8 these unhindered swirling currents picked up transported and eventually deposited tons of sedimentary layers Uh, these strata were then in place tilled and went through great tectonic activity at uh, the Colorado as the Colorado Plateau toe was lifted upward during the final stages of the flood the sedimentary sedimentary layers which make up the nine distinct layers of the three major divisions of the canyon walls show that they were soft uh, that they actually bent unlike the foundation stone that was rock that fractured The sand grains in these sedimentary layers show no evidence that the material was brittle and rock hard and neither has material uh, cementing the grains been broken. Instead the evidence points to the whole 4,000 feet thickness of the horizontal strata being still plastic when it was uplifted and bent. Once the waters receded, the recently placed layers of sediment continued to harden into rock. As the floodwaters receded, the uplifted plateau acted like a dam wall, trapped the waters behind it. In a subsequent catastrophic event, this earth dam ruptured, releasing the barrage of water that carved the canyon Itself. Since the Bible says that the Earth is about 6,000 years old, Grand Canyon could not have formed millions of years ago. The layers, the fossils, and other natural wonders of the Grand Canyon confirm that the Earth was transformed from its original state by a world altering catastrophe and its after effects. That catastrophe was the global flood as recorded in scripture. When I read this, I'll tell you what comes to mind. Wherever we would go uh, to a different spot, Russ would get up and share basically a little bit what I was sharing. Well, we had a park ranger following us around, and wasn't very happy with what Russ was saying. And um, he had sort of this kind of an attitude as he's was, he was listening, and um, but the more he started to listen, his body language went from this to, hmm, uh, hmm. Um, I have a question. And I forget what the question was that the park ranger asked. But Russ shut this guy up and shut him down so fast, he, turned, he just turned around and walked away. Because he had no answer to what Russ, Russ was saying. Equation, much water, little time. One of the things that we talked about, if it's the other way around, I live on the Fox River, and if it's uh, much water, uh, little water over time, then why don't I have a Grand Canyon? (laughs) Just think about it. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, and I'm going here. Uh, One of the things um, that I've been researching this week is a mammoth elephants. Uh, Russ has a whole series that he does when he explains what happened to the earth and how it flipped and how you had uh, places like the equator or um, places where grass was green and flourishing, and there would have been mammoths there. And uh, what we've discovered one of, them, one of them was 1962. Many more have been discovered since then. Is um, completely fast-frozen mammoth elephants and um, intact with grass and food in their digestive system. One they found to this day having its own DNA that could be extracted. Just think on that one for a while. And do your homework and be a be a Berean. I've been to Dinosaur National Monument in Colorado. Anybody else ever been there? Or the one in Utah? There's a national park just called Dinosaur National Park. And basically what it is, is a huge canyon, but it's a box canyon so that when you get to the end of it, you can't go anywhere. So when the flood came, what they found there were all these... I can't remember what the number was, but it was a lot of dinosaur skeletons all in one place. Well, what happened? Well, they got caught up in the flood and they got rushed down into a box canyon and you can go there and that's, again, evidence, scientific evidence of many dinosaurs all in one place. That is less than millions and millions and millions of years ago. All right, how did you like my sidetrack on time? (laughs) If if that was a sidetrack on time, what time is it anyway, if we're talking about time this morning? Let's go to, back to Galatians 4, and um, pick it up where Paul started with our, The first thing we want to mention about time was in verse four, when the fullness of time had come. Um, Let's pick it up in verse 21 at this point with this question that Paul says, tell me you who desire to be under the law. Do you even understand the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. The one was a bondwoman. The other was a free woman. But he who was of the bond woman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. Okay, I want to stop here a second. How many times have you heard me say, I'm going to give you a New Testament teaching and show you an Old Testament picture? You got scripture to back that up, right? Right here. Which things are symbolic. In other words, they have a new meaning. It's a picture, and we're gonna use the picture of um, uh, Isaac and Ishmael. The two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives, let's take it up, make sure I got my notes where I wanna go here, yeah. Um, which gives birth to the bondage, which is Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now and in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, above all, is free. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, and you who do not bear, break forth and shout. You who do not travail, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit and even so is now. Let that sink in. Even so is now. And I'm going to go back and we're going to go through the whole story. So the persecution between Ishmael and Isaac basically is saying it's still happening today or when in Paul's time. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. He's telling these Judaizers, you guys even know what you're talking about? That you want to be under the law? Do you understand it? And he used illustrations like Abraham, and we talked about the seed. Um, Well, this morning we're going to look and we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 16 and um, go through the story that uh, Paul is relating to here. And that is Genesis 16. Her name is uh, Sarai. It isn't Sarah yet. Now Sarai, Abram's, Abram is not Abraham yet, but Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go uh, to my maid. Perhaps I will have... Children by her. So evidently they had a servant they got out of Egypt. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, gave her to him, her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. In other words, you got an attitude. (laughs) I can have children and you can't. And basically that's the attitude that she took on. Then Sarai said to Abraham, my wrong be on you. How many times have you heard that, husbands? (laughs) I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. Now I want the Lord to judge between you and me. So Abraham said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Well, she belongs to you. Do with her what you want to. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So she ran away. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said to Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? And she says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. So the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, and I want you to submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. Now this is important that you understand the temperament of Ishmael. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also have seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called beer ha Roy. observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So, Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael, and Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. I want you to turn over a couple chapters to Genesis 21, and I'm gonna mention time again. God promised Abraham that he would bless the entire world through his lineage. So as far as Abraham's concerned, it's a done deal. But he gave in to an argument with his wife Verse one, the birth of Isaac. Now the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For she conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set, notice, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Um, Go to uh, verse two, Go to chapter 17. I'm just going to point out one verse. Uh, Genesis 17, verse 21. 17, verse 21 tells us, Then he finished talking with him, and God gave him up for Abraham. I have this right here. Just wait a second. That's 17, verse 21. Oh, 21. But my covenant, um, well, let's read verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes, and will make him a great nation. But my covenant I established with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So here we have another time setting. So when we read in chapter 21, in verse two, where he says, all right, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age when? At the set time of which God had spoken to him. He told her, you're ahead of time. You're gonna get pregnant, you're gonna have a baby. And it's, again, a set time. And now he's called Abraham. Abraham. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, which means laughter. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, uh, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh so that all who hear will laugh with me. She also said I can imagine the stories were on the supper table um, "You're what?" <laughs> "You're pregnant. How old are you?" Uh, she also said, uh, "Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age." So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, uh, Ishmael, the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Remember that we already are told that his attitude was gonna be wild. And um, um, here he is scoffing, laughing at the whole thing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Now tradition, if you were the oldest, you were the one who received a double portion of the inheritance, if not all. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son, was still Abraham's son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad, or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, uh, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skid of water, and put it on her shoulder and gave it to the boy and to Hagar, and they went her way. And then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs, and she went and sat down across from him a distance about a bow shot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him, and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad then the angel of god called to hagar out of heaven and said to her what ails you hagar fear not for god has heard the voice of the lad where he is arise I'll lift up the lad and hold him with your hand and i will make him a great nation we'll read up to verse 21 and god opened his eyes And she saw a well of water, and then she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and he dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of uh, Paran, and his mother took a wife from him from the land of Egypt. And we'll stop there. And my comments at this point, I'll do a little bit of a sidetrack, It says there was problems back then and he says there will be problems even now between Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael is the father of the Arabs. Let that one sink in. Are we having problems to this day? All these years later, as we see what's unfolding in the Middle East, And um, we could really get sidetracked with all that. So Paul uses this Old Testament picture to support you are saved by faith and not by the law. But just this morning, the Lord added on to my Bible study. I got closing right now. And I'm not gonna. I'm gonna keep going. (laughs) Because I saw something that I understood, but I didn't put it in the context of the story that we just told and the book of Galatians. What's the main point of the book of Galatians? Faith plus nothing. Jesus, in Hebrews 10, remember how many times? Died once. All right, John 1 verse 17. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When Moses was leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, they sooner got to the other side and started walking and complaining. What are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? I'm hungry. So the Lord gave him manna out of heaven every day. There's a whole Bible study right there. It was only good for one day. And then you had to eat it fresh. You go pick it the next day. Application, this is Sunday morning. And it's, um, you're getting your bread, so to speak. The word of God is, man shall not live by bread alone. Good place for it, amen? Don't starve tomorrow. <laughs> and In other words, keep your nose in the Bible. And um, yet, we find here, there was roughly, it gives us a number of men, but when you count the women and children, and we're talking two million people. And when two million people start complaining, where's, here's the, we're thirsty, we want water. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse four, if you're taking notes, we're told that while they were wandering through the wilderness, that when they were thirsty, the Lord told Moses to take his staff and go strike the rock, and it'll bring forth water. So Moses takes his staff, goes over to the rock, struck it. And wherever they went, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says that rock was Christ. And so wherever they went and they needed water, um, the next time they complained about being thirsty, Moses had had it up to here with the complaining and he said, we're thirsty. And he prays about it and the Lord says this, listen carefully, he says, I want you to go speak to the rock and it'll bring forth water. But Moses was ticked off. And he was mad at the people. So he goes and stands on the rock, and he goes, must I bring water from this rock? And he struck it. Well, usually the Lord would just, you know, talk it through, and they'd keep going. But not this time. He goes, Moses, Mo, we need to talk. Um, because you did what you just did, You can't go into the promised land. What do you mean I can't go into the promised land? What did I tell you to do? I told you to speak to the rock. What are you saying, Dwight? Jesus Christ, once stricken, never needs to be stricken again. You can talk to him directly. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple came down. You and I have direct access we don't have to have Eucharist and have our sins forgiven by a priest on a weekly basis, no. And it, was, it spoiled the picture so much and I really never saw it in the context of Galatians. And yet what Moses did, he, bought, he died on Mount Nebo. I've been to the general area there at the very northern tip of the Dead Sea. You can see into the promised land from there. But Moses was not allowed to go in well what did he do that was so wrong? Oh, he didn't speak to the rock. He smote the rock, which spoils the picture completely. Because Jesus only needs to be smitten once. All right, let's now close it up. That I brought that little tidbit I got this morning. Um Galatians four closing. Just as he had time, um where we leave off here this will make more sense now he's saying okay you Judaizers do you really understand what you're talking about when you're talking about the law and he uses a whole illustration between Ishmael and Isaac as an example and he says now we brethren uh, verse 24 I want to read it again which things are symbolic for these are the two covenants, the one on Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, the law, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, where the Ten Commandments were given, and in bondage is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem from above is free, which is the mother of us all. For as it is written, Rejoice, O barren! Uh, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who do not travail, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we brethren, as Isaac, are children of promise, but as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him. So now we have a deeper understanding. We just uh, Paul doesn't get into detail of the persecution. Well, what was it? It was scoffing. It was uh, H- H- Hagar uh, despising Sarah. Ha, I'm pregnant, you're not. Ha, ha, ha. And um, goes to her husband, deal with it. She's your handmaid with her. Y- you deal with it. So um, he, they persecuted him who was born according to the spirit even so it is now. He's using this as a um, a symbol. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Now I want to point out again, one-third of the Bible is Bible prophecy. Everybody with me? Here is when it says this is what the scripture says. Now Paul is using the Old Testament to come at it from another angle for those who want to add something to the finished work of the, the cross. Cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. In other words, law and grace cannot coexist. Let me say that again. Law and grace cannot coexist. You gotta kick one out. And there's the picture. Sarai kick Kagar and he's using that as an example. Um, Cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman but you and I are. So then brethren we are not children of the bondwoman but we're of the free. Talking about time this morning and in closing just as there was an appointed time for Isaac Said about a year from now, you're going to have a child. Just, there were, just as there was an appointed time for Jesus, when the fullness of time had come, God brought forth his son. So he has one for you, he has one for me. Have you ever made a doctor's appointment, dentist appointment? You talk to the receptionist, what do they do? They say, Well, We need to set up a time here for you to come in. Here's the date. Here's the time. And um, um, it's an appointment. Do you know that you have an appointment? Uh, Just as Isaac and Jesus had their appointed times. You see, the Bible teaches when you make this appointment that the Lord has made with you, God has made an appointment with you, as it says it, that you have it 's been appointed unto man once to die, and then what? The judgment: you have an appointment, and the question is, are you ready for your appointment? You have loved ones and friends um, A lot of them are really, really going through rough times right now. And um, the thing is, um, we have an appointment, uh, but we don't know how much time we actually have. And the fullness of your time may be closer than you think. Well, how can I be sure? Dwight, I'm not very good at witnessing. And um, how can I know for sure? That everything is fine. If I would die today, and my appointed day is today, and I wouldn't mind one bit, I hope it doesn't hurt, but (laughs) bring it on, all right? That's exactly, I'm I'm quoting Paul right now. Death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Bring it on. I'm going to read this this morning in closing especially for those that are watching live stream or maybe you're here and you're not 100% sure and you want to be. Um, Dwight, it made a lot of sense what you said about Russ Miller and time and that's what we're up against. The Bible tells us that it's my job to equip the saints. That's what we're doing this morning. To do what? To do the work of ministry. Well, I thought that was a pastor's job. No, it's not my job. My job is to equip. And it's your job to do the work of ministry. That's why I'm going to close this morning. I haven't done this. And why we put this in the bulletins to encourage you not to stop taking home the road, Roman road of salvation. I'm going to read it. We'll close with prayer. Number one, Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans three twenty three You have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans five eight. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans ten that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And finally, Romans 10. Whosoever, you are a whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, adding nothing to it. That sets a person free, and what it does, and I love this verse, you'll know the truth and it'll set you free, you're not part of the equation of salvation except to accept the gift. That's all you have to do, and believe it by faith and add nothing to it, and Paul went to such degree to really get on the Galatian churches. Oh, you foolish Galatians. How is it that you've turned from the truth that he actually calls it another gospel? So if you're preaching anything other than the simple gospel, you're teaching another gospel. And he's uh, he's very, very firm, and you've been going through this these last four chapters. He's not backing down, is he? He's using illustration after illustration after illustration that... um, Your name is put in the book of life. You'll know the truth that sets you free and that should make you happy indeed. Good place for an amen. Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. I especially thank you that um, you verify that you do use symbolism between Ishmael and Isaac as being symbolic of adding anything to the promise that you made to Abraham. And Lord, we're so grateful. Um, that's all we can really say is that we love you. And, um, and uh, please inspire us and give us the boldness in these last of the last days um, to proclaim the simple gospel to those that we love. And uh, we promise to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen.